Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome to the Curator Podcast. This is episode 27. Once again, dear listener to the Curator Podcast, I am your host Mark Fraser and this is episode number 27. On this episode, I have for you, rapper, general all-round awesome guy, Astronautilus. I've had a few rappers on this show before um, and you guys have probably realised by now that I quite like hip-hop. I first came across this guy on a POS track called The Brave and the Snake, which is uh, the last track on his album never better and I thought fuck this guy's really really good he has a really a really interesting sort of uh, lyrical style a really interesting sort of narrative flow and sort of delivery which I, I really enjoyed I had never seen him in Glasgow before which was interesting for me it turns out that when I did interview him it was the first time he'd been in Glasgow and only the second time he'd actually been in Scotland which is pretty awesome so yeah it was a real honour to talk to the guy as you'll find out very, very shortly. He is a huge Scottish history buff. He's actually named Andy Hepburn or Andrew Hepburn and he's somewhat related, distantly related to James Hepburn who is the fourth Earl of Bothwell who is Mary Queen of Scots' third husband. Now, I don't want to don't want to hit you with a history lesson but Scottish history is something that I'm hugely, hugely interested in because I did my degree in Scottish literature. So... You know, literature and history are quite closely entwined, especially in the, the pre-union era. It's explained a little bit in the podcast, but Mary Queen of Scots' third husband, the Earl of Bothwell, he was very, very well known for being a womaniser. But not only that, he was also extremely well known for being the person that Mary Queen of Scots blew up her second husband, Lord Darnley, for. And she was later, well, she later got her head chopped off. I mean, if, if you're Scot, you know that that happened because some letters were found and some sonnets were found that basically indicted her in the eyes of Queen Elizabeth I. So yeah, basically what happened was she was captured and she was put in prison and she later got her head chopped off for plotting to overthrow the government. Now, what's interesting about this and how this all relates to Andy Hepburn is... Um, and how it all relates to Astronautilus, even, is that the sonnets Mary Queen of Scots wrote actually professed her love for for James Hepburn, Earl of Bothwell. So it was really interesting, and when you listen to the podcast, you it starts off basically with a huge geek out about Scottish history, which 
I think it's quite cool. I mean, he's a really fucking nice guy, uh, super intelligent, and he's just a great rapper. And he puts on a fucking good show as well, man. He was playing with a live band, so that was really cool, really interesting to watch. So, yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm going to open up with a song from his second album, Pomegranate, and this is called The Wonder Smith and His Sons. I am a soldier, baby, who works just like a slave, sweating through the pain and digging his fox so that he knows it's just a grave. You trust me, don't you, baby? Yeah, you'd hand your life to me. Let's walk along the wire and watch the muzzles flash like a ah! A smile safe crackers understand this rendering and steady hand. Absolutely You thought you caught my sight of hand But you could never understand No, not me Father was a charming man With much hidden up his sleeve I wonder if this is what he planned When he taught his tricks to me The youngest was a clever boy Cracking calculus by three the eldest was practical and obsessively clean Then there was me I was born a charming man with silver tongue pearl teeth That's never how it's supposed to end We promised all we'd dream The envy of the everyman Our family seemed complete A father was a charming man A mother a serene But now I'm on the run again This old does home to me They found the eldest skeleton Face down in the stream The youngest was still tucked in bed Away they thought he was asleep They moved the mirror from his mouth The fog that should remain Was not to be seen Not to be seen I am the doctor, darling, who used to operate But I couldn't stand the pain of healing Only watch another woman waste away You trust me, don't you, baby? Yeah, you'd hand your life to me Let's set this barn on fire And watch the flames eat up the roof, please A smile safe crackers understand Is rendering this steady hand Absolutely Charming man who's holding what I need She'll leave her window crack for me And I'll draft in like a breeze My father was a charming man And I learned it all from me The brothers born a wondersmith We started as a team Like complimenting cogs and gears We built a head of steam A tragic flaw, a charming man's Exactly as it seems down the machine Pour another round on me Pour another round on me You know I'm good for it You know me You know I'm good for it You know my family I am the lover lady Who sees just what you dream I know you're going crazy Living with him Trust me, don't you, baby? Yeah, you'd hand your life to me. Let's leave this life tonight and reach the sunrise down the highway. The smile safe crackers understand this rendering this day and absolutely. The charm and confidence of men can jam the bullets in your gun and stop heartbeats. Andy, how you doing? I'm well yourself. I'm 
I'm, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's fucking cold out there, man. Yeah, winter has started now officially. We've had like luxurious Indian summer this whole fall tour we've had, and then um, I think the last few days, leave it to the United Kingdom and England and Scotland to really bring it to us with the winter. So um, I, I I did some research because that's the kind of guy I am. I like to read shit. Um, so yeah, man, James Hepburn. Yeah, yeah, the fourth Earl of Bath. Yeah, my ancestor. Um, interesting thing. I did I did my degree in Scottish literature. And I read the casket letters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did, I did a couple of like uh, papers on oh, wow. on the casket letters. Really? Yeah, That's man. Crazy. <laughs> That's fantastic, man. Man, what a small world. Yeah. Um, so that, that whole shit, man, is. Uh, fuck, I don't know where to start. You've, you've read them, I presume. Yeah. Parts and pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. And like, in when I was working, because I made an album about like yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, James Hepburn and Mary. And so I did a lot of like kind of like peripheral research, and then also just did a lot of just you know just fictionalizing on my own. But it's really funny because there's like um, <laughs> I'm part of this like I'm probably the only like one of the only people in America that really gives a shit about that part of history. There's like this I'm on this like Yahoo like news group like feed that I've been on for years, and it's just about James Hepburn, and it's the funniest thing too because I think it's just me and like a bunch of like seventy year old ladies <laughs> like like, and I don't ever post, but they always just anytime new information comes to highlight or new articles are written or things that you know featuring James Hepburn come in. It's basically like a James Hepburn fan club that I'm part of, and it's like me and probably a bunch of old like Scottish expats living in America. <laughs> like that's about it. Yeah, that's hysterical, man. What a small world. It's it's, inter- it's also interesting that you mention it because obviously um, Mary she blew up Lord Darnley. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. I don't know. Like, is that the first time you've been in Glasgow? Second time? First time, first time in Glasgow. Yeah, yeah. We I would pass. You pass, We passed through it on the way to Edinburgh when I was here years ago. But this is yeah. This is only my second time in Scotland, and I haven't been here in years as well. Too. So and okay. So interesting thing. The oldest house in Scotland was built in 1471, and that's where Lord Darnley stayed before he went to Edinburgh before he got blown up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's just it's just up the road, man. Really? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Man, I might have to get up early and go see. We were staying like uh, around the corner, um, like about a mile away or something. I was gonna get up early and, ho- assuming I don't drink too much whiskey tonight, I'm gonna get up, try to get up early and do some walking around because I just like I get super kind of nerdy and emotional about being, being here in a weird way. And like, yeah, when we were here the first time, I came through. Um, years and years ago like I fell asleep in the car and I woke up and it was like I didn't even know where I was but I woke up and I was like yep this is Scotland like I just knew because we were coming from Manchester I think going to Edinburgh and like I woke up and just like the countryside on the road between Glasgow and Edinburgh and just like got all teary eyed and I was like the motherland you know like like just yeah so I'm super excited to go kind of bounce around a bit yes yeah, it's not, it's not, it isn't that far away from where we are just now and there, there is furniture in that in that house, which is older than your, older than your whole country, yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's that's amazing, man. That's great. God, that's awesome. Yeah. So, like, you should totally go there, man. It's it's a very small house. I mean, it's not made for tall people. I think they must have been tiny back then. Yeah, yeah. Everyone is so much smaller back then. All you see all the beds and everything. Um, what's the name of the house? It's called. It's called the oldest house in Glasgow. Oh, yeah, yeah. in Glasgow. <laughs> How would we ever know? Um, it used to be. Oh, it used to be the Provence House. Um, and the prophet, the prophet was like one of the lords of Glasgow, I guess you could say. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting, man. I've only, I only went recently as well. Like, yeah. like I've lived in Glasgow my whole life, and my girlfriend took me there, and she was like, "You need to go, man." And I was like, "Yeah, okay, <laughs> all right, that's awesome." Yeah, be a tourist in your own town. So, what was I guess I should ask you because I fucking love this shit. Um, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Why? What made you look into it? Well, um, it's sort of a funny long story. Um, 
my grand so okay, it's gonna take a long way to get here. My grandfather, um, my father's father, um, was a he. So after World War II, um, he was discharged out of the Air Force. He was a um, flew bomber planes in Europe and then um, flew like uh, surveillance missions over Cuba looking for German submarines. After it was done, um, they. He was sort of looking for a job, and a friend of his was like, hey, I've got this like government agency that um, is just starting up. I think he'd be perfect for it. And it was this tiny little infancy of its, of its era, and it was just a little trailer that was behind the Treasury Building in Washington, D.C., and it became the CIA. So he was one of the first people employed by the CIA um, and worked at the CIA all the way up to his life, and he was, worked his way up the ladder and was appointed the London bureau chief of the CIA. And just before he could move, he had a small heart attack. And this is at the height of the Cold War. And the London Bureau was one of the three most important positions in the CIA. He had a really small heart attack, but the, the instability of his heart, they couldn't have him in a position so important. And so he was sort of forced into early retirement, which kind of like broke his heart um, because this was his life's work, essentially. And him being a, a CIA spook forever, no longer able to investigate a thing, he had to investigate something. So he investigated my family's entire genealogy. And there's a suitcase in my parents' closet that's got all these photographs and daguerreotypes and tintypes and a beautiful family tree that traces it all the way from my father all the way back to Scotland. Um, And, yeah, and I I remember seeing that when I was a little kid, my father showing that to me and just thinking when my grandfather passed, it was given to my father. And him showing it to me when, when my grandpa died and I was probably like 10 or something, 10 or 11. And I just remember thinking that was the coolest thing in the world. I've always liked history. But then this like awareness of my own personal history and the fact that it is a really cool part of history too. Like, you know, like that's a, that was a, that's a real bonus as well. And so as a result, I just kind of have always been super obsessed with it and, and kind of dug more and more into it. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's just kind of always been there for me. Yeah. I mean, I guess that, some of the things that I've, I've listened to, obviously I've, I've listened to your records, that's why I'm here. <laughs> um, that kind of, I suppose that feeds into the historical sort of fiction aspect of, yeah. of, of, of what you do. Um, and is, was that, I guess that was a conscious decision at some point to, to make that choice to do that? Yeah, I mean, at the time when I started making records, like it was a sort of a heyday for uh, American indie rap music and kind of like avant-garde, kind of creative, artsy rap music. And a lot of it, like, and a lot of musicians that I admire, and I don't mean this, what I'm about to say in a negative sense, but all the music that was sort of coming out was sort of like um, white kids who went to art school who were making weird rap music about their feelings. <laughs> and like I, and I loved that music, but I also sort of just felt like I don't, I shouldn't, I don't want to add another one of those to the stream. And so I started to kind of think of other ways to sort of think about it and, and going sort of the historical fiction kind of route seemed way more interesting to me. I, I come from a, kind of a long line of storytellers and bullshitters and um, we're all sort of super obsessed with history and it seemed like a really um, a much more interesting and engaging way and something that I don't think anybody had done at the point at that point in time and so for me it just felt like a way that I could sort of indirectly um, I could choose pieces of history to talk about things that are actually reflections of myself my own feelings my own like kind of um, you know emotions and curiosities or whatever but without directly talking about myself and so you know it, it was basically like became this sort of thing, like this, like making like a a reading list essentially is what it was. It was like, this is, this is the piece of history that I'm super interested in right now. And like kind of going from there. And so that, yeah, that sort of kind of built out of that for sure. Like one of the things that I studied when I was doing literature is, well, the Scots have got quite a rich 
oral history. Um, and it does strike me as being quite similar in a lot of rap music, but obviously quite in particular yeah, yeah, <laughs> yours. Um, do you like? Do you see yourself as being like kind of part of that lineage? Lineage, I guess, of like, oral oral storytellers. Absolutely, um, and it it's I think. Man, my father is a fantastic storyteller, like fantastic. And his two best friends, these twin brothers that he met in the army, Donald and David Bedwell, are fantastic storytellers. My uncle Ronnie is a fantastic storyteller. And it also helps that they've all lived like really hilarious, interesting lives. And from what I understand, I didn't know my my father's father very well and my father didn't know him very well at all he's kind of a distant man to his family but for his friends apparently he was very charming and a fantastic storyteller and now i have like a you know that's about as far back as i can trace it but i remember very clearly when i was younger we would be like at a family barbecue or whatever at the end of the night sitting around a fire and everyone just kind of feeding drinks to my dad and being like tell that tell that slide for life story again or whatever and like you just it was a constant and that was a thing that like I admired growing up and I, I kind of always sort of um, latched on to I was really shy when I was a kid um, but then sort of this kind of this method kind of pulled pulled me out of that a bit um, and as I got older and started to kind of research more and more and understand more about that I did yeah start to feel kind of like part of the bigger picture in a way and and I feel like that's um I guess ultimately, the hope, hopefully, my legacy. You know, like that's the thing you kind of start to strive for as you get a little older. You know, you start to think about long term. You know, and um, yeah, seeing kind of down the hallway all the way. Um, and so, yeah, I think that I do feel a, a kinship for that for sure. Is that one of the reasons? Is that one of the reasons why you, why hip hop was like an outlet for that? I, I mean, I think so. The stuff that drew me to hip hop, you know, I, I certainly didn't know that when I started to listen to rap music. But the stuff that drew me to rap music. Um, initially was like the New York underground rap scene um, and particularly Lord Finesse and Big L and um, those two dudes are storytellers completely um, and I always really really loved that and then have, you know since like then I went on to learn about Slick Rick who's this king of storytelling and then fell in love with like dudes like Ghostface same reason and I think like at the time the rap music that was being played on the radio was very it was just stupid it was dumb pop post MC Hammer kind of thing but there was this whole kind of like wonderful New York underground scene um, with like Native Tongues and De La Soul and stuff like that and then DITC that man I really really loved and particularly the way Lord Finesse and Big L told stories was super like that hooked me completely and it was you know Lord Finesse is super funny he's a really funny guy and both him and Big L are really funny like kind of witty, clever people, but ultimately they're always sort of telling a story, whether that story is an actual linear story or this story about this fictional character of themselves that kills everybody and has sex with every woman. Like, but to me, that was, I think, the thing that probably totally engaged me. I'm totally unaware of that at the time, but I think, yeah, ultimately. And then eventually, as I kind of moved further on and learned more about about rap music and more about music in general and started to kind of really... Um, fall in love with people like Bob Dylan and Woody Guthrie and learning sort of the history of blues music and the talking blues and trying to tie those things together. I mean, I think my early records are super heavily influenced by people like Woody Guthrie and talking blues, trying to find the through line between talking blues and rap music, you know? Um, yeah, for sure. I think that that's, it's a storyteller's medium, I think, if used properly. To tie both those things together, can you remember when, like, the first time that you realized that when you heard, the first song you heard basically kind of went, 
Holy shit! Like this is this is the medium that I'm going to use to tell to tell my story. <sighs> Man, I yeah. I mean, it's sort of a weird thing. I didn't think about for the longest time. I didn't think about for I came up in rap music through battling, and so I didn't think about it. Um, battling is not really like, and rappers will crucify me for this, but I don't. Battling is not art. It's a craft. It's a skill. It's a sport. You know, um, it's not about being creative or pushing a boundary. It's about making fun of someone. It's about being precise at a thing and being good at a thing and being better than someone at a thing. And so for me, like I was going to school for theater, um, but I was battling, and it was sort of like two totally different things. And I was like studying super avant garde theater. But then when I would battle, it was this like weapon, you know, and it was a while before I started to like let all of my like art knowledge and theater training kind of bleed into my music. And I think um, if I were to like pinpoint it, man, I can't I couldn't say the song that I heard that made me really think that way. Um, Oh, man, I'm trying to think. Maybe I could think about it. The first time I heard like a, a really a story that sort of changed the way I thought, I'd have to really think about that. I know that there was a song that I made. I can't remember even what it's called. Um, I made this song that was really funny. I didn't realize at the time too. Like I hadn't ever heard um, uh, Space Oddity before, but I made this song about this guy being stranded in space or whatever. Like, like I don't know, like a month after I made it, someone was like, "Oh, it's just like Space Oddity." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> like. Shit, but I remember making that. It's it's on an EP that like I made like you know fifty copies of. That I'm gonna re-release one day like proper. But um, yeah, that, I think that was probably the first time I wrote like a real story, story like linear story thing, and that was the first time that I felt like I succeeded at it. Like it felt like I, oh I can do this now, and so the, I definitely kind of latched onto it there. I think because you have been you've been I guess you have been quite well known for being a really good story- storyteller and also freestyler um, and you know what man like I've we've never, I've never seen anything like that in this city before like yeah. it's and obviously I've never seen you live before um, but it's interesting you brought up the theatre thing because I, ha- I did do when I was doing my research I did see that you'd, you'd, you'd said in the past that you'd done theatre I guess does that you're telling a story with by doing that as well does that influence the way that you performance stage I, I say that having not seen you before yeah 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 for sure I mean like I went um, I went and I was studying to be a d- director and a lighting designer um, and so yeah there is a an element of my performance that is super influenced by that and I mean you'll, you'll see it's it's pretty kind of over the top a lot of times and pretty theatrical um, you know in a way um, it's definitely not like you know a Lady Gaga stage show or anything but I think there's a sort of like element of like um, I am playing a character on stage that is, um, you know, me, It's but it's just me sort of, like, elevated, you know, like, sort of the volume turned up on me. Um, and so there is a degree of, like, playing a character and playing a role. And then also just the idea of, like, um, yeah, I, I, there's a lot of things that I'm just aware of on how to be entertaining, you know, and, like, I, I, I want to be entertaining always, yeah. You want people to come, you want people to, get, to walk away going... Fuck, that was really good. Like, yeah. yeah, I want people to have fun too. Like, more than anything, like I want people to have a good time. Like, I, I think of the re- the live show and the album as two very different things. And the albums, I always want you know, you put your headphones on, which you really focus on, and listen to the lyrics, and the liner notes, read everything. And then with the show, like, it should be a fucking party. Like, it should be loud and it should be sweaty and you should dance. And like, I just and I, yeah, I, I, and especially the, the older I get too, the more I really have grown to love. I've sort of pushed both my music and my live show more and more and more to be louder and faster and more like kind of outrageous because I, I, I really like, you know, 
throwing that party, but I also like attending that party because the shows that I've gone to over my life that I really love are always like that. Whether punk shows or rap shows or whatever, like the shows that I've always like, oh, that was the best show. Most of those shows that are in my like, you know, top 10 to 20 shows were all like totally nuts, like parties and kind of sweat fests, you know, so that's what I aim for that. I'm a, I am a punk kid, but like some of the best shows oh, I've been to have, yeah, have been like hip hop shows. Like they've been some of the most like raucous shit that I've ever seen. I see, I seen atmosphere across the road in the garage, yeah. and it was just like, holy fuck! Like I can't think of any punk band that could do something like that, which is weird because I fucking love I playing punk bands. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I can't imagine that. Like, there's a, I mean, there's a, I think that both of those communities. There's a reason that they sort of periodically overlap throughout history and music or whatever. But like, I think both of those communities do have a sort of um, need rap is like so rooted in a party like it's you know even rap like that is not necessarily about the party something like atmosphere or whatever is still we're still kind of rooted in the party like that's still always in our bones a bit like and uh and then even but but there's also this element of like anger and you know a- angry energy you think that like that is man so akin to what drives a really awesome punk show like there is a bit of a party in the punk show and then um yeah, I mean, like, I've seen Against Me a bajillion friggin' times growing up in Florida. And, like, those shows are, like, yeah, there's sort of, like, I think if you just, if you couldn't see the, uh, you know, if you took away sort of the demography of the crowd or whatever, you, the energy is pretty much the same as a rap, a really great rap show, too, you know. I mean, the Florida thing was something I'd been thinking about, but I don't have a question about it. But now that you've said it, I kind of need, kind of need to ask, like, so obviously you moved like you've, you've moved around. So now you're in Minneapolis, which I hear is you know I fucking love Prince. I'd love to, I'd love to go to Minneapolis someday. <laughs> um, but was were, uh, forgive my ignorance here, but were you doing the, the hip hop thing before you moved to Minneapolis, or was that one of the reasons why you moved there? Or yeah, like sort of the reasons why I moved there. I've been rapping for oh, man. I started when I was thirteen. I'm thirty-three. Um, and so yeah, I'm fucking doing anything. You're doing it, yeah. It's all right. You're up here. You got a free beer. Um, yeah, so I've been rapping for 20 years. I started touring right after I graduated university, and that was in 2003. Um, and been touring pretty much nonstop since I gra- I went to University of Texas in in Texas, and um, uh, then after I graduated and we went on tour, I moved back to my parents' house in Florida and stayed there for a few years five or something like that and then moved to Seattle chasing a girl and that didn't pan out and I stayed there out of spite for a couple of years and then um, then I moved to Minneapolis like after I was kind of like done with my time in Seattle I was just sort of looking around places to go and I had been going to Minneapolis all the time to work on music uh, with my friend POS and sort of that scene out there it's just such a fantastic city for rap music particularly the kind of rap music that I make and I was just like I'd been going there a bunch and I was just like this is stupid like why am I buying plane tickets I should just be paying rent there and so I moved there and that was four years ago and man I love it it's it's one of my favorite places on earth I'm really I love POS man I seen them supporting the Bouncing Souls here and oh nice that's it, shit it was weird because the crowds were like what the fuck is going on and oh, I was man. like I was just kind of like man this is amazing yeah yeah that's awesome <laughs> man I forgot that he came over here with them um yeah, that's that's the shit, man. Steph is man. He's one of the best. One of the best. I'd love to talk to him. Uh, he was on. He was on Scribius Pub show recently, which is which is awesome. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if you if he's in Glasgow, he would be he would be happy to talk to you. He's generally very accommodating with that sort of thing. So one thing that I've been thinking about is um, your lyrics are quite literary. I, I mean that as as a literature student, I mean that in a good way. Um, you tend to play quite a lot of assonance and constants and um, also like different rhyme schemes which are more than just, you know, 
AB yeah, eight yeah, rhymes, you know. Um, I'm pretty sure I've seen some iambic pentameter in there, among other things, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Did, I guess you must read a lot then. Not as much as I used to, um, but like when I so when I was in the theater program I went to is in Dallas, Texas. is a school called Southern Methodist University, and I um, it was man one of the best things that ever happened to me going there. It's a liberal arts program, so you like studying theater like nonstop, um, super like kind of intense four year program. But then you also have to take like non theater classes. And one the two probably the two most important things that happened to me while I was there was. Um, my third year, the third year of the program is when you study Shakespeare and Chekhov and Beckett. Those are the three in this, like, one of your classes. And a teacher taught, my teacher is a wonderful woman, um, Barbara, God, I can't remember her last name. I feel terrible about that. Um, she, she blew my mind one day, and I'd always loved Shakespeare. I'd always really liked it. But then the day that she taught me about, like, the coding in his scansion, if you, like, take, and we took, like, the first ten lines of the To Be or Not To Be speech. And if you go and you break down the scansion and all of it, and Shakespeare's iambic pentameter, but he breaks the rules constantly. And if you go through those first 10 lines and you circle where he breaks the rules, where he inverts the stress on stress or whether he adds an extra syllable at the end, if you just circle the words where he breaks the rules and you just read those words in order, it literally reads like a perfect summary of those 10 lines. And you can do this to everything he's ever written. This, like, man, blows the doors off of, like, the, the Shakespeare wasn't a real person myth. It's fucking, if you want to get me angry as fuck, I'll yell about that all day. But, like, I saw that, and to see that, like, I was like, a, you know, I, I grew up, and I, was, I, lo- I love, like, the, the beats and all those people. And the second I learned that, I would just, like, middle fingers up for so many lazy writers. Like, I got so over, like, like you know... Um, like free poetry and fucking the beat generation just bored me to tears after that point because I saw not only was it something that was emotionally connected but there was like a, a real craft there and I have an admiration for craft and art and if you can find a way to combine the two the other one is I took a, like an intro to poetry class or whatever and the professor uh, taught you know, there's a bunch of stuff in there it's, you know, it's sort of a survey class but there was one poem in particular this guy named Gerard Manley Hopkins who was an old Jesuit priest and he was writing Sort of, he lived in isolation, and he wrote all these these poems that like no one read, and for for you know hundred years after he died or whatever, and he was doing stuff with uh, rhyme scheme and structure that no one was doing for like another two hundred years after him. And this poem, particularly called "The Wind Hover," is just one of the most incredible, like beautiful arrangements of words. And that, like, seeing those two things, really like instantly changed the way I thought about writing. It changed the way I wrote, and like yeah really kind of just blew my mind wide open and was just a thrill and i i've never sort of recovered from that like i just have still will always sort of admire people that put work in you know like you know and uh, yeah so i I do have i do try to put a lot of work into that sort of thing i guess do you do you approach your lyrics like poetry because it strikes me it's been quite it's quite difficult to to put any kind of poetry to be uh no i mean not really like I did, I think when I first started, and ultimately I didn't make very good music. Um, I think the problem that a lot of people who try to put poetry to a beat, um, like they don't make very good music. I think like a real like Saul Williams is a super talented writer, and while he has made some good music, I think his music always is some sometimes lacking in a lot of things because it's. I think he's kind of square putting a square peg in a round hole. He's such a brilliant writer. Like his writing is incredible, but his music it kind of misses a lot of times and I think for that reason and I think a lot of people I remember really early on the first dude I ever worked on music with um, 
this guy uh, DJ Reraj from Dallas, Texas. One of the first things he ever said to me when we was first started the first music I ever made, and he was like, "You need to write this to the beat. You can't write this and then try to put it on the beat. It just sounds." bad and I remember thinking about that and that's sort of a thing it's always sort of stuck in the back of my mind like and there was this you know there's a moment where you you start to like when you're st- stuck with a choice lyrically you you always have to generally side on the side of ma- it, does it sound good like you have to side on the side of making it a good song so sometimes you just you have so much that you want to say but sometimes you just can't do it because if you want to say that much then write a fucking book like you know like instead you're writing songs and so ultimately you have to choose the the you know when you're stuck you have to choose the path that makes a better song and so yeah you know for as much as like I am in, in, was influenced by poetry and initially it has very little play in my life now uh, creatively you, but you can't uh, for me anyway if, if someone that's, that's done poetry you can see that the genesis of of a lot of your rhymes is being that kind of almost poetic in nature which is not as common in hip hop as you might think to have that in my opinion anyway um, I mean I, I've also like I'm in bands and, and I do write and I've been told off so many times by saying you got like there's far too many words there man yeah, yeah, yeah. you got you got to fucking cut that shit out yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, sometimes it's man it's hard to do it took me a long time to be able to cut it out and like that's why you if you listen to my records you'll notice the density of words is reducing each record like it's becoming much more simple and simple and simple and as like a, a sort of an admiration I was like really actually was, we were just listening to a, a Yoni Wolf has a podcast and he was interviewing Soul two fantastic humongous influences on my music Why and Soul were fantastic huge things for me those records and Soul was talking about like when his first stuff came out it's so much words so dense and he made this great point which is the thing that I had learned over time too I grew up admiring those guys who were just tons of words and he was just like at the end of the day I started to think like I'm like you know, saying a thousand friggin' words and I'm running it through a delay and distortion and I'm like, no one can understand what the fuck I'm saying, so why the fuck am I writing all these words anyway? And that's what, like, was the impetus for him to start slowing it down and putting more space and room in it. And it's been really interesting because a lot of my friends, POS is the same thing. Like, all of us have, like, in the last few years, and I think, honestly, a lot of us, almost all of us will credit, like, listening to pop rap, listening to people like Rick Ross or Gucci Mane or whatever, and, like, the, the space in their lyrics ultimately allows everybody to understand it whereas when we first started making rap it was all about this like precision density of thing and ultimately made sort of a coded language that only rap people could listen to and now it's like we want people to hear the lyrics and so you can see all of us like putting space in things and cutting words out and simplifying 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 and i've become sort of really fascinated by um you know, sort of trying to write elegantly to try to, you know, to, to use it quite well. And like people like a musician like Bill Callahan, such a huge influence on me lyrically. And I've always been super amazed by how, you know, what he can do with five words. And that's just like been sort of, I think the goal for the last few years is slowly working towards like figuring out a way to do it and, you know, do it with less. I was going to say that it's, it's like the art of becoming succinct really. It's, um, yeah. But I, another thing I was kind of wondering is, um, it's also that also seems to me it's like the art of becoming a better songwriter as, yeah. as time goes on. For sure, for sure, and like ultimately, that's the thing is, is like you start to like it becomes really funny when you look at lyrics, the lyrics for like your favorite like rock songs, like Beatles songs or whatever. Like the idea that like so many great rock songs 
have one verse that they repeat three times, you know, with a chorus and a bridge. And like, that's the song. And when you look at that and you're just like, you look at it like, you know, Chuck Berry or whatever, like, man, oh man, I love, I've been on a huge uh, Fats Domino kick and his lyrics are just so simple and so basic. And it's basically like two sentences, then the chorus, two sentences, in the chorus, two sentences in the chorus. And you just go, what the hell am I writing all these damn words for? Like ultimately, you know, like, that you want people to sing along to it, you know, you want, and like the fact that like someone can do that and still move you emotionally, you know, it doesn't always have to be, you know, you don't always have to be Tolkien or something like, you know, like sometimes you can just write a damn haiku. <laughs> it's kind of like if you want, if you've got something deeper to say, write a fucking book, write a fucking book, man, write a fucking book. Like, and if you, and if you can't express it, cause songs don't necessarily always have to be, they don't have to be a billboard, you know, spelling it all out for you. Like you, if you're doing your job, it's the you don't just need the lyrics to do your job. The music should be doing the job too. And a lot of times, like how many bands I love that I have no idea what they're saying. I'm fucking how many people are crying to see Garros right now and have no fucking clue what they're saying, but are so moved by it, and it doesn't matter. Like that to me is that was like a like oh yeah cool. They, it's a weird realization for someone who's made their whole life on lyrics to be like, yeah, they don't really matter that much, but it sort of frees you up in a lot of ways. And, and that it's good. It's fun. It's a really enjoyable change and like kind of growth to go through. So I guess that brings me to wonder, is that, is that kind of like the, the vibe for whatever the new album's going to be? Is like, it's going to be that kind of that whole sort of idea. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess one of the things that's sort of um, really important, important to me for each record is I try really hard to change the language that I use for each record and like records like Pomegranate are very like it's very formal and literary and I, like that's sort of the hardest thing to do because I want to shake off like one of my biggest pet peeves with rappers is that they never change the way they use their voice and they never change their sort of lexicon that they pull from linguistically and they may be a super talented writer but ultimately I get bored over the course of a couple albums, they put out one album and I go, that's great. And they put out a second album and it's like sort of the same vibe, even though the beats have changed or whatever, like, but it's still like ultimately you're sort of saying the same things in the same way and you're using your voice the same way and eventually I just get bored. And so I never wanted to do that. And so like, not only do I try to like really push the way I use my voice in different directions, but I try to develop a new language for each one, which is a real pain in the ass when you start writing for a record because you try to, you have to force yourself to not use the old record's language. So getting out, like, it took me forever to get the language for Pomegranate, and it took me f- even more time to get out of it, um, because it was so, e- once you get it, then it's so easy to write in that formal style, and yeah, so this record is very, is probably the most simple um, linguistically um, that I've ever written. The choruses are like, I kind of really took a lot of cues from like rap choruses, there's a lot of like one line repeated over and over again. Whereas like my old choruses are like the case of William Smith is the craziest, most ridiculous amount of words in a chorus ever of all time. Um, and so, you know, like this was like trying not to do that. Unfortunately, the guy that produces my record, John Congleton, he's really good about like when I tell him what I want to do, he'll like enforce it. And he's like, remember you want, you don't want to do that. You want, that's your old shit, do something new. And he was really good about like kind of slapping my wrist when I would like kind of want to put a bunch of words in a thing, you know? So yeah, it's definitely much more slimmed down. It's probably kind of the most efficient record that I've ever done. I, I just want to bring up now, John Congleton. Um, man, I'm so sad he's not doing the new Baroness records. Oh, like, really? He's, he's not, but he did the Chelsea Wolf album, the new yeah, Chelsea, yeah. which is fucking heavy, man. Yeah, man, have you heard that? And his, uh, he did the you listen to the Swans record that he did no. No, you should listen to that Swans it's amazing it's the record he did last year and I think he's working on their new one too um, yeah that's man if you like 
Baroness, like, man, listen to Swans. It'll, that'll blow your fucking mind. And it's a really rad record, and there's a really great story about um, there's a horse sound on there and them wanting to record the horse in studio. It's really funny. Like, I think he talks about it on his, he did an interview on All Songs Considered on uh, National Public Radio in America, and he talks about it on there. But if you like that, those records, then check out that, check out that Swans record that he did. It's their latest record. It's incredible. So talking about simplifying, I did notice the chorus in Psych was, you know, it's, it's quite simple. <laughs> Super simple. You know, it's funny is that beat, that song came about in the session. One of the guys that is a really amazing guy, Adam Pickerel, made the beat. But he, John brought him out just to play keys on stuff. And we were just, you know, you're there for like four days together working together and hanging out and eating dinner. And he was just like, yeah, I got some beats. And I was like, well, let me hear some beats, man. And so he played me this beat and it had like that like siren sound that was just like the intro to a beat. And like that was starting. I was like, well, this is awesome. And then the beat went into a different direction. I was like, no, 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 no. Okay, bring it back to that thing. Cool. We're going to, all right, let's put some drums on. Let's put some bass on it. And so that song kind of bore out like kind of in real time. And I had all these verses for it, but I couldn't figure out a, a chorus. And um, that chorus was originally going to be a part of a verse. And John was like, cut that. Like, that was just going to be four lines that were in a verse or whatever. And he was like, nah, that's your chorus now. Cut that. We're using it. It's not in that verse anymore. Take it out. And that was, yeah, it just came about, like, sort of really organically, which is, man, really fun. That was sort of a very intentional, like, in the process of making this record was really about, like, taking as many steps to not think about things too long because when I think about things too long I have a tendency to put a lot of words into things and so ultimately it would just be like um, John is this done? and he'd be like dude it's done trust me and I'm like alright scared the fucking hell out of me the first song on the record is the, probably the most simple chorus I've ever done in my entire life and it scared the hell out of me when it was like ah and now like I listen to it I'm like ah oh, I'm really proud of it but when we first made it I was terrified and John is really good about like having to be like no man trust me it's done it's good leave it alone it's fine um, which is a really helpful thing to have. <laughs> so I guess just to kind of wrap up, what, what can we what can we expect from the new the new record then, man? Like I'm I'm, I'm really interested, especially after a psych was not what I was expecting to hear yeah, at yeah. all, you know. And I'm like, I was one of the questions I had was like I was going to ask you was, do you ever think you go back to doing traditional kind of more hip hop stuff? And then I heard psych, and I was like, oh well, no. I don't need to ask a fucking question yeah, now. <laughs> it's definitely the most like I feel like in a lot of ways too. I feel like I've been sort of a rapper that's been making indie rock records for a really long time. And this is definitely the first like rap record I've ever made. And it has a lot to do with the fact that I'm like, I love rap music right now. Like what's going on in rap music to me at every level, what's going on with indie rap music, what's going on with pop rap music, gangster rap, it's Southern and in Europe, like everybody's making interesting rap music. Man, oh man, like I feel like everyone's coming into their own at the time. And it's a super exciting time. So I'm like back in love with rap music. And so there's a lot of that in there. Um, it's definitely the most like Southern record I've ever made. It's um, almost no live instruments. It's tons of like beats. And the only real live instruments that are on there other than a little bit of drums um, is uh, a full brass band, like a New Orleans style brass band that's through everything. You hear them on site that blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so like it's a lot of that. So it's like a lot of just like banging ass drums, like super heavy bass and then brass band. Um, I'm stoked on it. I'm really excited for people here. I think it's the best thing I've ever done uh, by kind of by leaps and bounds. I'm pretty excited for it. I'm excited to hear it as well, man. Andy, it's been a total pleasure. Is there anything else you want to say or anything you want to add before, before uh, anything you want to ask me even before we finish? Hey, man, uh, give me your uh, Scottish history literary list. Send it an email. I want to be, I want to be part of your news group. <laughs> Teach me these things. Maybe I got to start a new script. Just, just, yeah, exactly. Just all the subscription service. It'll be great. Yeah. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure, man. So there you have it. Really cool chat with a really awesome rapper. I really love talking to him. 
not just because we had a massive history geek out, but just because he's such a laid back and interesting guy, really intelligent, really articulate, and he's just really easy going. It was really easy to chat to him, and I fucking I really enjoyed that. So thanks to him for talking to me. Thanks to tour manager Brock for sorting me out as well. It was a really awesome chat, and he put on a great show. Hopefully he'll come back soon and you guys can see him. He's got a new album coming out next year and he's released a couple of songs from it. You should definitely check him out. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please drop me a rating and review on iTunes if you enjoyed this. I would really appreciate that. And I know this is a bit cheeky, but if you've got any feedback or anybody you'd like me to talk to, just go onto my website, thecuratorpodcast.com and drop me an email. I'd love to hear from you. I do appreciate it when people talk to me. I'm going to play you out now with a track from the upcoming Astronaut to this album and this track, most traditional style of hip-hop track that I've heard Astronautalists do. So I hope you enjoy it. This song is fucking great. It's called Psych. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, bye-bye. On some burning down, Nina's town, never look back, shit, passing out on your couch, sneaking out the back tip, whipping credit cards at your mailbox, snatch it, charging to the gameplay, boy, it's practice. What are we talking about? Practice? We're talking about practice, man. They be on some got this, squat this, reroute the power grid, cops can't stop this, over our dead body bitch, eat this, drop this, turn it up, light a kid, put it down in our path, million ways around us. shit. Backstage sterilizing tattoos with beer, your cat stay paralyzed by bad news and fear, your underage ain't fucking let you in here, fake IDG, you buy us all beer. I'm sick of kids who sitting bitch about to kick it into shit, your woes means tease, just getting a bit ridiculous. Fucking A, you underage, that means they just slap your wrist, if not, you're young and fit. Yeah, bitch, I run the pigs. And give them our trophies. <laughs> and some orange slices. Yeah, y'all already know me. One of the only that's really grinding. Lazy motherfuckers won't call it luck. But real motherfuckers, no, there ain't no such thing. Cause I mean, there ain't no free lunch. You better fix your own plate to serve one to us. I don't pray to your God to complain on Facebook. Stay waiting for your dad to come save the day. Don't vote for Obama and expect the change. It's just one big party all giving the same gifts. Like a POS t-shirt It's only gonna be worse But this beat is kinda berserk Turn it up louder till my fucking teeth hurt Like a POS t-shirt It's only gonna be worse But this beat is kinda berserk Turn it up louder till my fucking teeth hurt Southern, I was taught to hold heat. Ain't no gangster, tell that truth. Rick Ross, the cop with some bad tattoos. Hey, Florida, baby, yeah, my neck stay real red. Why you make believe pushing that white shit? You dress up gangsters, can play pretend. I stay slanging them white girls round my bed. Young Steve McQueen spit that dick game and tweet real bossy for a bitch with a tin chain. I don't need no made back just to shop my pimp game. Pull girls on my bike, ride my handlebars home, man. Ooh, I'm put my word on that, Chief. Rihanna got a Holloway, I murdered that beat. 
a kind I'm like an umbrella, King Kong in a bed She's just trying to bet a fella when you're done with that dead beat Like a POS t-shirt It only gonna be worse Beat is kind of beezer Turn it up louder to my fucking teeth hurt See? I can write your dumb raps Pay me and go buy some hubcaps Fake G still talking about gun claps Ain't gonna happen like A-Rod's comeback Talent is cheap, money's all made up Gallons of beam and the speaker stay based up Fuck it, I got nothing left to say, son Y'all get cryfy, thank you, bass guard Like a POS t-shirt But it only gonna be worse This beat is kinda bizarre Turn it up louder till my fucking teeth hurt Like a POS t-shirt But it only gonna be worse And this beat is kinda bizarre Turn it up louder till my fucking teeth hurt Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.